What's good, y'all? Welcome to In the Deep, a deeply focused fantasy baseball podcast, part of the Pitcherless Podcast Network. My name is Jordan White, and I'm joined here once again by my good friend and co-host, Christopher Schwebzy Weber. Schwebzy, how are we doing tonight? Hi, friends. I'm doing good. I am. I'm in North Carolina. I'm you in my are. house. He's in. He's in his house, folks. I, I'm looking at it's. It's weird seeing you in a, in a new room. It's. It's so surreal. I don't know if I will ever be used to this. Being a homeowner. I, I sometimes just go to a random room and just lie down, like on the floor. So you have no furniture, so you can actually do that in, I think, every room of your house at this point, which isn't going to be true, true. forever. But I'm, I'm, I'm a large person, and I'm just like on the floor spread eagle because it's completely unfurnished. Don't use the phrase spread eagle. <laughs> is is, is Pop, Papa Nick going to come down on us for that? Maybe. Does he, does he even really listen to our podcast is, is the real question? Uh, the time that I mentioned, they say the word spread eagle several, several times in one minute is when he will listen to it. Probably. Yes. I feel like we, he's, we're probably like the, uh, we are, we are the black sheep bad boys of the pitcherless podcast network. I feel like we're, uh, when like, um, when Simba is getting talked to by his father, it's like everything the light touches will be yours. We're that shadowy yeah, place. We're the shadowy place. Exactly. <laughs> that's, that's where we, we reside. Amongst the Pitcherless podcasts, um, the Isle of Misfit Boys, the Isle of Misfit Boys, absolutely. Uh, all right, folks, uh, let's get to some players in a little bit here. But first, let's do the usual at the top of the show. Let's talk about socials real quick. So, if you want to follow us on Twitter, you can follow our shared podcast account. That's going to be at In the Deep PL. You can also follow Schwebzy at Schwebzy. That's S H W E B S I, or myself at Bun Singles. Um, and with that, I don't think I got anything else. Oh, wait, no. Mets, Mets threw a no-hitter. Oh, the Mets. We got to talk about that, actually, before we started talking about players. The Mets did just throw a no-hitter, a combined no-hitter. Um, yeah, we, I, we we got to watch the ending together, which was sweet. I got to see Schwebzy smile like an idiot. He was sitting there. I've like, never just, smiled before. Just actively. Just, I mean, just he, he tried to make it seem like it wasn't that big of a deal, and he just kept on doing podcast notes at the time. But he was sitting there, and he couldn't wipe that stupid little grin off his face. And I loved it. It was fantastic. It was good to see you first happy. Time, it's the first time Jordan's ever seen me happy. That's not true. I saw, I, that's not true because I was a uh, a digital, a virtual uh, attendant at your wedding. That's I was, true. I, I did get to see you get married, which was kind of cool over webcam. And I have to say, I have to say that that's true, just in case my wife listens to this. <laughs> oh, wait! Did she actually? <laughs> did she listen to the podcast? That's a real question. Only when I tell her that I talked about her on the podcast. So are you going to let her know that you talked about her on the podcast? Uh, it's, it's up in the air. We'll find out. We'll figure it out. Uh, just congratulations, Swipzy, on the no-hitter. Fantastic view. The Brewers' uh, offense, is the, here's my little piece of joy for the day. Uh, they hit six home runs against the Cubs. That, I mean, oh. the, the Brewers scoring double-digit runs is basically like on a, a rarity level with a no-hitter. Not even, that's not even true. I feel like it's, they do one of two things. They either just don't score any runs. And there's just zero offense to speak of, or it's they just explode for like ten plus, and that's it. There's no in between. Oh, I, I'm I'm happy. Like I I was I was talking before with you. Like I'm I'm surprised at how few shares of Brewers hitters I have this year. Yeah, given how much we talk about them and the fact that I actually like a lot of them, so I didn't get to benefit from their explosion today at all. But I, I'm glad you did. Yeah, I mean I don't have a lot of shares of Brewers players either. I have Renfro and one. Fantrax League, uh, 
the Dynasty League that we're in together. Um, not the one that we co-manage, but the other one. Um, I'm trying to think. I have, I think I have Lorenzo Cain so in poorly in that league. God, we are. Yeah, it's so, so <laughs> bad. Um, I know that I have Lorenzo Cain in one league. I have Andrew McCutcheon in, I think, one of my other new leagues. Maybe. Yeah, I'm not totally sure, but still, yeah, same. Not enough shares of Brewers hitters this year. But yeah, regardless, big, big day in the in the deep shared household for uh, for our teams. It's been very, very good. It's been a good day. Hopefully the Brewers pop off again tomorrow when I'm at the game with all of uh, the folks that we that well that I've been lucky enough to become friends with uh, through the Twitterverse through this uh, little weird community that we have. I'm going to see a lot I'm, of people. I'm so jealous. I don't intend on talking to you to for meet, several days after that. I get to meet Keelan. I get to meet Megan. I get to meet Colleen. I get to meet Amber. Just like all of these very, very just rad people a, that. Just, a who's uh, who of Twitter studs. Just rad folks. Just super rad folks. I'm very excited. Um, But yeah. All right. Um, Let's see. I don't think we have anything else at the top that we wanted to cover. So let's hop right into our deep dives for the week. Schwebzy, let's start with you with Chaz McCormick. Yes. Uh, I I only want to talk about Chaz McCormick because I'm in awe at how someone can have a punchable name. Like I, I I know like, like you can have a punchable face, like look at like Ted Cruz or like you can have a punchable vibe, but like somehow this is a punchable name. Like if, I think if someone tried to steal your girl at a frat party, there's like a 70% chance that their name is Chaz McCormick God. or like the, the bad guy in like a, a college or high school comedy will always be named Chaz McCormick. I don't know. Anyways, we're, we're not here to talk about my apparently deep seated issues with the name Chaz. Um, <laughs> Did you have uh, a bully named but, Chaz growing up? That's what I want to know. Maybe I might've repressed that. I don't know. But before before I go any further, I want to be a company shill and bring up an article that was written on Pitcher List back in March called Chaz McCormick's Second Year Outlook. It was uh, it was written by Kevin O'Brien, known on Twitter as Royal Report Kev, at Royal Report Kev. And in that article, Kevin makes the case for McCormick better than I ever could. So uh, you should totally go and read that if you're in need of a deep league outfielder and you rightfully do not trust me. Um. Last year, McCormick got 320 plate appearances, so roughly half a season. And he put up 14 dingers with 97 runs and RBI combined, with four steals and a 257 batting average. Those are some really, really legitimate counting stats, and it kind of flew under the radar. Like, if he had done that over a full season, like 600 plate appearances, he basically would have had Chris Bryant's 2021 season. And per Rasball's player rater, that would have made him roughly the 25th best outfielder last season. And yes, just, you know, prorating stats like that is bad analysis. So let's go a little deeper. Did the world just completely forget about a potential top 30 outfielder for no reason? No, not really. There's reasons that his draft stock was basically non-existent. Firstly, because he faced some stiff outfield competition in the form of Jake Myers. Uh, Jake Myers had a really strong August and September while McCormick dealt with a hand injury. The threat from Jake Myers is going to pop up again at some point this year uh, because Myers is working his way back from a torn labrum. And uh, the timetable is currently a little bit unclear. I I saw a mention of the month of May, but I haven't seen any updates, so that seems a little bit optimistic at the moment. 
so the the threat is actually real once Myers comes back because as far as I can tell, they're basically the same player. Like seriously, if you look up both of their fan like like look up both of their fangraph pages and try to tell them apart without looking at the names because it's like so close to identical that it's eerie other than the plate appearances their slash lines and play discipline numbers wrc plus everything was like within a couple of points of each other and i worry about that because it means that there's no if they keep up that roughly same level of production there's no reason for the astros to not just go with the hot hand in any given game or week or whatever and uh you know i worry if both of them are healthy that if Chaz mccormick has a rough week that it could mean decreased playing time for him yeah uh at the moment or or you know at the start of this year the most concerning thing about mccormick's future production was his really unpalatable 32.5 strikeout percentage from uh, 2021. That's not, like, unplayable, but it's really, really bad. Mm -hmm. And the rest of your game has to be really, really good to make up for a a K rate that high. Now, last year, McCormick was able to do enough different things to still be a valuable player, but there's no guarantee that happens again. Like, how many baseball players have had their careers kind of killed by a sky-high strikeout rate? It's one of the fastest ways to tank your production. So that's the bad. So why do I think McCormick can repeat or improve upon his 2021? Firstly, we talk all the time on In the Deep about how opportunity is the most important thing for deep league diamonds in the rough. And right now, McCormick is being given his chance to thrive. He's been hitting out of the leadoff spot in that Houston batting order, hitting first six out of the last seven games for them that is a really big deal it shows that the astros believe in him while jose altuve is on the mend and mccormick (laughs) before before i say this line just keep in mind that offense is down across the league yes so it's it's going to sound unimpressive it's still it's really hard to actually like i just realized i leaned away from the mic and it's probably to sound like i was super far away um but it's it's just with how offense is done, I'm still not used to talking about people's offensive lines and thinking that this specifically the batting average is good. <laughs> Dude, we I, I keep on looking at like batting lines and it's like, oh, wow, he's only got a 700 OPS. And then you look and it's like, oh, yeah, but he's got a 120 WRC plus. Yeah, because it's just like the, the offensive environment is just abysmal right now. Super depressed, super duper depressed. Yeah, but I digress. Uh, he's hit leadoff in six of the last seven games. And in those seven games, he has hit 233 with five runs, three RBI, and his first dinger of the year, along with a stolen base attempt that unfortunately failed. Uh, and, you know, stolen base intent is important. So just the fact that he tried to run is a positive sign, I think. Now, um, I'm encouraged that he'll get rolling he he hasn't been what he was last year so far. Yeah. But we're only like 40 batted balls into this season for him. Mm-hmm. His batted ball distribution looks pretty similar to last year. He is a like kind of a he hits the ball in the air a lot. He hits the ball to the opposite field a lot. He's still doing all of those things. Uh something that Jordan and I were talking about prior to recording was that McCormick hit more fly balls to the opposite field last year than he hit to the pole field. Yes. Which is not 
it's not a super common approach. Like, I mean, I, I, off the top of my head, I can't think of anybody else with that profile really other than like, I don't know, DJ LeMayhew. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. And uh, Chaz McCormick doesn't have the advantage of the New York Yankee Little League field since he is a uh, righty and doesn't get to target the uh, Crawford boxes when he hits oppo. Yes. But so he's still hitting fly balls and line drives over 60% of the time. But this year, he has the added bonus of a 79% zone contact rate, which is not elite, but it is significantly higher than last year when he was at around 70%. He could still stand to chase less. You know, he's not, his plate discipline isn't perfect now, but overall, he's striking out at a 19.6% rate this year compared to 32.7% last year. That is a dramatic improvement. He's also seen a bit of a decline in batted ball quality, which is concerning, but it's early enough in the season that a good game or two would put him right back in line with where he was last year. At the end of the day, I think McCormick can be a really nice source of power and counting stats, especially if he can maintain a high spot in that Houston batting order. The sky-high strikeout rate, was never a concern in the minors like that. It, he never yeah. really struck out more than 20% of the time in the minors. So th- there's hope that his current 19% strikeout rate is more in line with what we can expect in the future. That's the hope. The, the, the ideal here is that he maintains the strikeout rate gains while also hitting the ball like he did last year. If he can do that, he could be a really valuable player for your team. Yeah, more balls in play means more times on base, means more counting stats, so on and so forth, more RBIs, everything like that, more chances for stolen bases, and he's shown that intent already. So, yeah, I mean, I like this one, too. Um, do you know offhand what his... He was, he's rostered in 1% of leagues. Uh, so yeah. he's out there, probably, just an assumption for most there. leagues. Uh, pretty safe assumption. So, um, yeah, I can dig Chaz McCormick. Like, for me, I'm having a lot of injury issues with my outfielders and, like, my five outfielder leagues. So being able to find folks to fill those gaps is always really, really nice. So I think McCormick would fill that uh, fill that role nicely. Um, yeah, I love that one, Schwebzy. Um All right, let's do my first deep dive here. And it's not going to be a super-duper deep dive, but... Uh, I'm going to be honest, like... The first, when I opened the spreadsheet, when I when I opened our one note that we used to track our notes, and I yeah. saw that you had taken this player, I was I was fuming a little bit a little bit upset a little bit upsetting I, spaghetti. I, I just added him in my NL only league, and I'm really happy with it so far. Yeah, uh, I'm pretty happy having chosen this person. I do I drafted him in a few different places this year, and I mean, just it was it was mostly out of a. Because I, I had drafted the person that would have been starting at shortstop instead of him. Uh, Same. Or had him on my team already and wanted some, like, insurance, essentially. Kind of, like, handcuffing like you would do in, like, a fantasy football league sort of thing. Um, but I went with ha- Ha-Seong Kim here. Um, so this feels like kind of a perfect storm of one positional utility to post-hyped-em, I guess is the best way to describe it. Um and then three, just like the abundant op- opportunity that he has had after the Tatis injury was revealed, after the lockout ended. Um, he's kind of, especially over like the past couple of weeks, been blossoming into the player a lot of us hoped that he would be during draft season last year when everyone was really high on him. Um, 
He started off showing the really, really great play discipline this year that he displayed in the KBO. Uh, so he's got a 12.8% walk rate so far this year. Again, pretty small sample, but still really, really encouraging. And a sub-20% K rate, which is also great. So kind of similar to uh, Chaz McCormick. He's putting the ball in play a ton and getting on base a whole lot as well. Um, and recently he's shown some really, really good pop. He's had three home runs in his last six games, including another one tonight. Um, while his hard contact percentage this year has dropped compared to last year and his exit velos aren't necessarily the best. Like I don't think he's come within like five miles per hour of his uh, max exit velo from last year. His barrel percentage has increased, which tells me that he's hitting the ball at optimal launch angles more often. Um, At least that's what I've been able to imply from that. Um, He's lifting the ball more and he's still maintaining like the really, really heavy pulled ball profile that he had both in the KBO and also last year in his first year in the majors here in the States. Um, So like if you glance at his savant page and like look at his sliders real quick, there's not a ton of optimism to be found there, but that said, again, he's got those optimized launch angles. He's getting on base at a pretty, pretty excellent clip. And I think that that plus the fact that he's got like 88th percentile sprint speed, it's going to allow him to snag a few bags, which he's already done so far this year, as long as he's getting playing time. Um, I think obviously, like once Tatis is confirmed to return, his prospects take a hit a little bit. But until then, I think he's well worth a roster spot uh, with his three position eligibility. Again, that's second base, shortstop, and third base, uh, especially in your OBP leagues with that er, 12%, 12.8% walk rate. Oh, I'm I'm really high on him. I was actually I was I was in the process of trying to pull up his rolling charts. Yeah, we're like we're at the point where we're we're so early in the season. Like I said when we were talking about McCormick, that one or two good games will wildly change what his yeah for his savant sliders look like. Oh, 100%. For example, yeah. like if you if you look at his rolling charts right now for like his woba, it's just like. I mean, it's not a straight line, but it is. It is a steep, steep line going up. Yes, yeah, it's pretty. And good. after today, that's only going to go up more. Yeah, exactly. I um, mean, he was he was like, I I because of his underwhelming rookie year, I think it's easy to forget that he was an absolute stud in the KBO, mm-hmm. and those skills haven't gone away. He was a double-digit walk rate guy in the KBO. Yes, he was. He was a low strikeout guy in the KBO. If those skills start translating, you know, a- any of the skills, like anything that's translating is going to just make him a more and more valuable player. And right now, I mean, at, at the moment, every one of those skills is showing, which is which is awesome because he doesn't even need all of them to be a valuable fantasy asset. Yeah, I certainly don't think he's going to be the type of guy who only strikes out like 11 12 percent of the time like he was in the kbo but like the walk rates are right there or a little bit higher actually than they were in his last couple of years in the kbo so like i mean there's a lot to be excited about in his profile here uh especially just like discipline wise that's really encouraging it's something that like we're seeing in say suzuki's first year here is that he's shown really really uh an just an elite eye at the plate which has been fantastic so I'm hoping that uh, Hasyong Kim is finally coming into his own, and yeah, I really like him for that reason. Um, and it, it's worth noting that, you know, like I said, big swings in Statcast numbers this early in the season. If you look at his rolling average exit velo, you know, on the season, 
it's 82.5 but if you look at rolling his last like 10 played uh, uh his last 10 batted balls it's back up it's it's up close to 90 yep. which is you know above league average he's slowly but surely taking up and like like i said like with his max like the exit below it's so early in the season that it's not surprising that someone hasn't like gotten close to what their previous year's max like the velo was. Uh, there's going to be much more, much larger of a sample as the season goes on. And I think that he's going to tick up closer to that. Um, I mean, th- there's encouraging stuff like his, he's, he's not chasing, he's yep. not swinging and missing. Nope. He's walking. Like it's, it's really like there, there's good stuff here. And I, I feel like th- those particular things being good, is a really good sign because it means he's seeing the ball better and reacting better than he did last year. Yeah. Just kind of like getting up to speed. The, yeah. Adjusting. Cause like KB compare like, so like comparing it to like say a Suzuki, someone who came from a foreign league, uh, coming from the KBO is much different than coming from the NPB. Uh, yeah. cause the velos are much higher if I am to understand correctly or they're high just in general, like the quality of play is higher in Japan than it is in Korea. Um, but, I believe you're right. Yeah, having that uh, little extra year to kind of get up to speed here in the States, I think that he's going to fare completely fine and be a really, really good contributor to that uh, Padres squad and hopefully to your fantasy squads. Man, this is a conversation that you and I are going to have to have on Sunday. What's that? Haseon Kim is sitting out there on my uh, TGFBI free agency. Oh, you should grab him. Oh, there's there are, a, a bid will happen. It's just a matter of how much. After the week he's had, it's going to be maybe a little bit steep. It's, it's, what, yeah. what is his roster ship numbers right now? Oh, for that's TGFBI, a good question. Like you said that he's on your on your waiver wire, so I want to know how many leagues he's actually available in. Because if he's still out there, I would be it's, kind of it's ninety percent. My my league yeah, is definitely okay. uh, one of the outliers there. Okay, I was going to say yeah, because if it was lower than that, I would check to see if he was available in my league. But I doubt that he is. Um, I assume I'm one as of the, soon as I'm Tati's one of the three was, leagues. You oh, you yeah. might be another. Uh, maybe yeah i know that as soon as tatis was confirmed gone i feel like someone picked him up with like the first round of fab or they drafted him for all i know um but yeah all right uh all right before we jump into our second set of two deep dives let's take a quick ad break all right we are back so trebsy let's go into your second deep dive right over here let's talk about nico horner someone who i who i hold uh, near and dear to my heart even though he is a yeah. Chicago Cub, this is a this is kind of an interesting one because you and I both feel pretty strongly about Nico Horner, but there's not a lot to say. Yeah. Okay. So like this one, before you like jump in deep, deep, it feels much more like a real life baseball than fantasy baseball, like of Nico Horner in a certain sense. Like we want him to be really good for fantasy because we know that he's going to be and is like a really really good real life baseball player um yeah yeah what what does what does like a 99th percentile nico horner season look like i would say like just you know outside of the analysis like what 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 in his like best year ever what are you hoping for like a three three thirty stolen bases yeah yeah hey alex fast here and thanks for listening to this podcast on the pitcher list podcast network if you're a fan consider supporting all of us by getting a po plus subscription where you're going to get an 
ad-free website and get access to our Discord where you can talk to all of our podcast hosts and staff. Plus, you can hang out with our incredible Pitcherless community. It's basically a baseball sanctuary year-round for as low as $8 a month. You can sign up at pitcherless.com backslash plus and you're going to get your first month free with promo code podcast also don't forget to check out everything else we do as well from youtube videos live streams newsletters off-season articles tiktoks breakdowns over 15 baseball podcasts on our network we can't stop talking about baseball even during the off-season so sign up for pl plus today at pitcherlist.com backslash plus and use promo code podcast to get your first month free all right thanks for listening let's get back to the show I don't think this I, is. Yeah, I, see, I think it's like a three thirty average, though. Right. That's the thing. He's gonna hit like three thirty because the hit tool is just fantastic. The yeah, I, I like. Fantastic. I, I wonder. I wonder mainly for him too is like the really big thing because he's been. He, he had two different nagging injuries last year that kept him out for a while, including oblique stuff. Which I mean, we all know at this point how just persistent oblique issues have been over the past couple of years. Yeah. So I, I wonder mainly like. Can he ever get to that 15 home run mark? Because if he could, like that would be massive for his fantasy value. I feel, but, I feel like that's something for him where it's like he's late 20s and he's slowing down just like a little bit. And he starts to optimize like a pulled ball profile and starts lifting the ball a whole bunch more. And it's like, I mean, he barely squeaks by with like 15 home runs. This man think, needs to lift the ball and lift some weights. Yes, it's strong. But uh, yeah, it feels like we've been talking about Nico Horner forever because we have been talking about Nico Horner forever. The first time we ever mentioned Nico on this podcast was episode five, over over a year ago. Oh. Basically, we've been we've been waiting for a Nico Horner season for the entire duration of this podcast's existence. In Jackie Robinson episodes ago, we talked about Nico Horner. <laughs> That's true. This is episode number forty-seven. Good, good, nice, Man. nice math. That's the that's the quickest and best math that has ever been done live on this podcast. You're welcome. <laughs> Only <laughs> but, uh, time ever. The like it's like I said, it's, there's not a lot to say because Nico Horner just is who he is. He hasn't changed. We hoped that a swing change that was talked about in 2021's spring training would lead to increased power output, but aside from a very misleading opening day dinger, Nico Horner continues to be the slappiest of slapdick players with a 35th percentile average exit velo and only four extra base hits so far on the season. So what does that mean for you? Do you need batting average? Do you need a handful of steals out of a middle infield slot? Do you kind of sort of need counting stats just because everyone kind of needs counting stats but you're not desperate for them? Nico will do the trick. Nico is an excellent stopgap player. Yes. He's a he's a he's a nice glue guy. Like he's not going to hurt you unless you uh, unless you need power, he will not hurt you. And like he 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 just like that's who he is. Like I guess that that's the tweet, right? Like there's no there's no upside here. Not really. I don't think that's entirely true. There's a small amount of upside here. It's, it's mainly all, centered. It's all Go ahead. It's go all ahead. just like does he ever get out of the nine hole? I think it's kind of where you're right. going with this, right? Yes, exactly. Okay, yeah, I'll let you. Yeah, I'll, sorry, I'll let you take it. But like, yeah, that's oh, pretty much it. Every game so far, he has hit ninth. <sighs> like, 
literally every game. And that is hitting behind guys like Jason Hayward, hitting behind uh, Nick Madrigal when Madrigal plays, uh, behind fresh out of the minors, Alfonso Rivas. I And it doesn't make any sense to me because, like, yeah, there's no thump. So, I mean, it kind of makes sense to put the guy with no thump at the end of the order. But, like, if he's hitting 300-plus in this offensive environment, like, this is a valuable player. You need, in, in, in 2022, with the dearth of dingers and the dearth of dongs, you need to manufacture runs. And Nico is exactly the kind of player that helps manufacture runs. I'm really surprised he's not seeing the leadoff spot yet or the, the I mean, I feel like uh, Say Suzuki should be locked into that two hole for pretty much forever now. Yeah, but uh, I I think like Nico hitting in front of him in in the leadoff spot would be beneficial for the Cubs. But uh, I'm talking to you from a a, a computer chair, so uh, that I don't get to make those decisions. Uh, yeah, I mean, if if that ever happens, it would be a major boon to Nico's fantasy value because it would increases opportunities for runs and stolen bases so we can appreciate him for who he is we can uh trust in who he is because i i think it's a uh it's a high floor skill set and uh you know we can hope for better we can hope for better opportunity for him yeah i'm just like looking at because currently rafael ortega is the person that's been leading off most frequently for the cubs currently- only against righties he is he is a strict platoon bat has it been just against righties? Yes. Have they only played against righties over the past like? Or am I, or am I looking at this incorrectly? Let's see here. Uh, looking up the lineup tracker. Oh yeah, you're right, Michael. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. And then who's been leading off against lefties? Uh, Michael Armacio, Magical, Magical did and Magical. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the fact that out of all of these players that uh. Nico is hitting over 300 and still hasn't gotten a chance to like lift himself out of that nine spot is really discouraging. Um, I'm uh, hoping, ho- I'm hoping that can, Rossi uh... gives him a shot at some point. Um, Cause hitting right in front of, excuse me, uh, say it's Suzuki and Wilson Contreras would be fantastic <laughs> for his stock. You know, it's funny because like w- we had this section pretty much mapped out and then we went to talk to one of our Cubs fan friends yeah to see if he had any insight into nico horner and literally what was said was yeah no love is love is bad to ball skills hope he gets promoted in the lineup someday and it's like yeah that's because nico horner is who he is like there's there's nothing to read into here where we're all seeing the same thing and uh yeah if he ever does get that promotion in the lineup it'll be uh it'll be really big for his fantasy production yeah oh, man nico horner is everything that People want Nick, Nick Madrigal to be. That's that's literally <laughs> that, what it comes down to. Just the 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 office. It's the same picture. Mean as our good friend the eleven would say the eleven. Nick Madrigal. Or, or, sorry, uh, Nico Horner is simply the better. He is. <laughs> he is simply the better, and that is all. That is a that is a, just a niche joke for three people. That is literally for us. Sorry, folks. Um. All right. Uh. I guess I'll go to my 
second deep dive yeah let's talk about uh this actually isn't going to take too too long i'm going to really hit on some quick notes here with this one and then we're going to get to a bunch of we have a decent list of honorable mentions that we want to get through so i want to get to those as fast as possible but i wanted to touch on someone who is like barely within the threshold of people that we usually talk about and that's chris paddock at 19 percent roster ship uh between espn and yahoo leagues so paddock since getting traded to minnesota has been a pretty pleasant surprise and the sample size is still pretty small, only three starts. But there are clear trends emerging, and now he is approaching each start, and it's easy, connect, easy to connect the dots on why he's seeing success. So if you take a look at his pitch maps, Paddock has been doing an absurdly excellent job at elevating his heater, and it's paid massive dividends. He's got a 38.1% CSW on the fastball so far this year. And that's with him sitting a full tick lower than he was last year. So he's throwing slower than he was last year, but he's seeing just like way, way, way better results. Um, also nice is that the changeup seems like it's back to, it only held like a 24% CSW last year. It's got a 32.7 CSW over his first three starts. And that's the highest it's ever been in his major league career. So super encouraging there. The other thing too, is that Last year, I think he threw his curveball like 9% of the time, 11% of the time, and then the changeup was thrown like 24% of the time. He's throwing his changeup and his curveball like equal amounts now, which is really, really interesting, and that's a new development. Um, the results have been mixed, but in his last start against Detroit, he had a 38.9% CSW on the curveball, which is, I mean, I don't think any of us really expected that, because like his first start of the year, I think it had like a 3% CSW <laughs> over like 15 or 20 thrown. Um, is that is that bad? It's not good. It's certainly not good. Um, so the CSW numbers across the board really, really encouraging. Seeing great results there. The thing that surprised me, and he's never really been a bad command guy by any means, is that he's only allowed one free pass in fourteen point two innings so far this year. Like that's absurdly good. Um, he's only been like a one point eight two walks per nine type of guy throughout his entire career so far so he's thrown a ton of strikes with consistency but this is like a completely different level so that's really really encouraging to see um i think the other thing that's really important to note is and probably the most important thing is that his hard hit rate which i mean it makes sense because his csw numbers are up as well across the board his hard hit rate is the lowest of his career um scraping a little bit below his 2019 rate. And we remember that 2019 was like his coming out year, his year that he really, really popped off initially. And the year that made us really excited about him going into 2020. Um, he gave up a lot of loud contact in 2020 and 2021. And that was reflected in all of his results. But this year with the hard contact numbers being depressed, all of his ERA indicators point in positive directions. And with his next start lined up to be against the A's, uh, which is a really favorable matchup for him, I think. I'm happy to stream him there and then have him stick around in my in my uh, bench uh, for future streams if he continues to execute his game plan like he has so far this year. So if you are, so actually his his next start is uh, against Tampa Bay on what? May first. May first. May first. Oh my god, it's almost that, May. Was I looking it, at something it, yeah. incorrectly? Oh yeah. Uh, his next start after that should be Oakland. Oh, that's what I was looking at. Oh, it's because I was looking in the... Yeah, okay. I, I realized what I did wrong. Uh, yeah. I think I would still... Hmm. Against Tampa. Well, is it is it in Tampa or is it in Minnesota? Uh, I believe it is home. 
Mm. I might feel okay about that. Actually. I mean, they're they're both decent pitchers' parks. Yeah, I'd... both Tampa Bay and Minnesota. So I, I don't think the venue really uh, changes uh, whether you would play him or not there. But uh, if you're you know if you're a consumer of pitcher list content, you I'm sure you know about the starting pitcher roundup that Nick Pollock writes every day, yes. every single day. Uh, Paddock was the headliner a couple days ago mm-hmm. after his after his last start, and uh, in the SP Roundup blurb, uh, Nick says it's a little too soon to call Paddock a must-add, but you can bet your bottom dollar if he does well. And you know this is Nick talking and not me because I would never, ever utter the phrase bottom dollar. Uh, <laughs> if he does well against the Rays, everyone will be adding him for his start against Oakland later that week. Now, Nick writes these SP Roundups with his eye on 12-team leagues, smaller leagues, standard leagues. We are generally looking deeper than that so we generally have to move quicker than other you know standard yes. league managers so adding him now might be the move yeah i definitely ugh, sorry i can't talk i definitely think that's the move um yeah i mean i like what i've seen so far from him. i think that he's well worth the gamble uh i think even against the rays honestly i'd feel fine just like running him out there as a as a streamer considering what he's shown so far if he continues to execute like he has been uh and again, like all those uh, ERA indicators are trending in the right direction. The contact, the hard contact rate has gone down so, so, so much. Um, and I, I don't know, I don't know what it is about that curveball because I don't know if the curveball is necessarily quote unquote good because there was a lot of them that he left up in the zone in his last start. So like the CSW is high, but it looked like he kind of hung a few of them. So I don't know if it's just having that different look that people aren't expecting, and it's more of a uh, thing that's keeping uh, hitters off balance that is leading I mean, to that success. But being a two-pitch pitcher, like just adding that third pitch, adding the threat, adding that thought in the hitter's mind, it, it can only help. Yeah. Uh, unless you hang one and it gets hit 450 feet, of course. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Fingers crossed that that does not happen. Um, but yeah, all right. Uh, we've got a big old list of honorable mentions that we want to touch on really quick. Some folks that we've talked about before, other folks that we, I don't think we have, um, Schwebzy, let's fire through these real quick. So I'm going to start with Sheldon noisy. So basic thing about noisy is that he's putting up an excellent average and has chipped in three stolen bases in Kevin Smith's absence in Oakland. So I'm grabbing him actually in TGFBI, hopefully this week as a stopgap option at third base because Chris Bryant got hurt. Uh, and is going to be out with a back issue for at least 10 days. So uh, Noisy, I think if you need like an average bat that can maybe grab you a stolen base or two, uh, would be a fine option here. Uh, Noisy has hit second uh, bo- against both lefties and righties in the last nine consecutive games. I think most of his hits have gone to the opposite field. Like 75% of his hits have gone to the opposite field so far this year. It was a nice patient approach at the plate, and yeah, he, he looks really, really good. So I like nice. Sheldon Noisy. Nice. Uh, all right. Uh, Schwabzy, do you want to talk about Cooper Hummel and Seth Beer? It, I, there's actually like a, not a duo, not a triumvirate, a, a, a quad? Quadrumvirate? Quadrumvirate? I don't know. Quadrum- <laughs> I'm a smart, I'm smart. <laughs> I'm a smart. We don't we don't do math or words on this podcast. Remember how we did good math before? Now we're doing bad math. 
and grammar. Now we, we we finally we finally did one good math thing, and now we can't grammar. Cool. Get you get you a man uh, who can do both things poorly. <laughs> get you a podcast that can do none of the above. <laughs> uh, so yeah, this this uh set of Diamondbacks hitters, and honestly, you can throw in most of the Diamondbacks lineup into this uh th- th- this blurb. Cooper Hubble, Seth Beer, Pavin Smith, and Christian Walker, all of them are seeing wildly worse results than their batted ball data would indicate. Now, historically, things like X home runs did not work very well in Chase Field, and I, I guess because of the elevation. But, like, if you... If you look at Coors Field and if you look at Colorado Rockies hitters, they don't have this same team-wide disparity between their WOBA and their ex-WOBA. So I'm not sure if there's something going on with the, I don't, the tracking data in that stadium or if it's just team-wide miserable luck. But like these players actually have pretty good batted ball data. Like Cooper Hummel, Christian Walker, Pavin Smith, Chris, and uh, Seth Beer are all rostered in very few leagues. And they all have really nice looking batted ball data. I I would say that this group of players take a shot. Like if you have the opening in your roster, like and if you're just or or if you're just desperate and you know you're hoping so you can just pick up a someone who looks like a scrub and might pop off. Cooper Hummel actually just uh just hit a God. He's a I, I should know this. He is a. He's normally in the lineup against lefties, but he just started getting in the lineup against righties for the first time, which is an interesting development for him as well. He might be the most intriguing one of the group because Cooper Hummel is also really, really fast and has good play discipline to boot. And he's a he was a favorite of analysts like Alex Chamberlain, who, as we've said before on this podcast, is much smarter than the two of us and our one combined brain cell. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, this is just uh, this is a lot of words to to just say that all of their batted ball data looks really good, and if you're looking for a long shot, uh, you know, potential strong bat, the Diamondbacks might be the team to look at. You think anyone in the fantasy baseball community is as self deprecating as we are towards ourselves? If not, I'll have to try harder. <laughs> I was gonna say we have to really kick it into fifth gear. I think we'll have to push it. Um. All right, excellent. Yeah, I love the I love the the chunk of uh Diamond Diamondbacks players. Oh my gosh, I can't Dude, talk right now. What is going on? Christian Walker, like uh so there there was recently a series of the uh the Diamondbacks versus the Mets, and Christian Walker took a ninety-seven mile an hour up and in fastball from Trevor May out of the park, and it was just such an impressive display of hitting. And the dude's hitting like one seventy five. He's got like it decent just, counting stats. That's the weird part. Is over the past it, two weeks, he's got like a decent amount of counting stats, but it's just well, someone has to, right? I guess so. Man, ugh. All right. Uh, let me talk about. I mean, I mean, we talked about Daniel Vogelbach last week, I think, didn't we? Yeah. Yeah. And nothing's really changed there. Nothing has he's changed. Still hitting. He's hitting first. Or got fourth. another two hits today. Two hits, two RBIs today. Yeah. I mean, he's been good. Uh. So, I mean, yes put Daniel Vogelbach in your lineups. I don't know what you're doing if you haven't yet. Um, he he has not hit lower than fourth in the lineup once this nope. year. And he's leading off a time. How cool 
How cool is that? I mean, I'm happy for the man. As a, as a Bofa, I am happy for the man. I, I appreciate that he's getting appreciated in Pittsburgh. And I'm glad that he's seeing success. I hate that he was being told to strap his batting gloves for the first time in his career. That was funny. That I, lo- I love that the mics are hot enough to pick up every single word that, that was said during that conversation. Uh, but fun, I love fact, fun fact. Fun uh, fact. Uh, a year ago or so, I opened a box of Stadium Club tops uh baseball cards yes and my the the autograph in that hobby box was a seattle mariners rookie daniel bogelbach hell yeah so so if he pops off i'm rich oh it's gonna happen it's happening right now I, I, i'm very not thing rich at least has, has at least uh doubled in value it's, a, it's, it's worth, worth two dollars now yeah, exactly <laughs> i was gonna say a dollar fifty but <laughs> um all right, moving to two players that are like the exact opposite of what Daniel Vogelbach is. Uh, I want to talk about just real quick two really good stolen base options. That's Jorge Mateo and Harrison Bader. So like they both have five stolen bases after or over the past like two weeks. Um, Mateo, it's basically just stolen bases. That's it. And we've talked about Mateo and Bader before at length. Um, Bader, same thing, except I think he's got more pop than he's shown even so far this year because he's got two home runs so far. If I am remembering correctly, uh, he, no, he has zero. He's none. Oh no! Well, now I look like a fool. Um, yeah, of the uh, of of the five players in baseball who have more than four stolen bases, uh, four of them have zero home runs. Yeah, that sounds about right. That's fair. Um, but good news is that Bader carrying over it seems his play discipline stuff from last year. His strikeout rate is still only twenty point six percent, and his yes, walk rate's almost. I eight. love that which is good so good so uh keep that in so mind moving forward as long as he can stay healthy he's probably gonna be pretty solid he walked twice today you in know, four plate appearances had a I, run i wonder like i i need to find someone smarter than me who i can have this conversation with um like i i i wonder like if the deadened ball is going to impact the low power guys more than it is the high power guys like are the 15 home run guys gonna lose five home runs are they gonna lose 10 home runs like the guys that tend to hit wall scrapers are they the ones who are going to be adversely impacted the most Yeah, because those are just gonna be flyouts yeah they're gonna land at the warning track or just in front bader doesn't hit tanks he falls in that category Mm -hmm. i wonder if i wonder like if i have to like really really adjust his uh projection for myself I, I would think so, uh, at least for now. I mean, we could see... I don't know what's going to happen when the weather starts to warm up all over the place. Um, maybe yeah. things will change. Who's to say? I don't know. Um, but yeah. All right. Uh, let's go to... You got Trevor Larnock down here. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Larnock. Uh, and he... I I have to assume that when Kirilov comes back from his wrist injury, that the guy who goes to the bench or gets uh, sent to the minors or whatever, it's got to be Kyle Garlick. I can't imagine that they would yeah. t- take away opportunities for Kirilov or Larnak to develop just so that Kyle Garlick can get plate appearances. And while he's getting plate appearances, I'm a big fan of Larnak. He's a nice OBP guy. He, uh, or, or, he profiles as one anyway because he has historically strong walk rates in the minors and he has a bit of thump as well he has struck out too much in the majors so far but i mean you could say that about most young players 
his strikeout rate so far is 8% lower than it was last year. It's gone from 34 and change to 26 and change, and he's hitting 286 so far. There has not been any power so far, but I, I, I think there's there are skills here, and this is another kind of similar to uh, a, a little similar to McCormick in that he hasn't really shown it yet, but he has the skills to be like a shot in the dark outfielder that has the potential to uh, put up some big counting stats. I dig it. All right. Uh, actually, while we're down here on the list, let's also have you talk about Taylor Walls because I think he kind of fits in a somewhat similar vein to Mateo and Bader. Yeah, I mean, like like Larnock is kind of similar to McCormick to a lesser extent. Uh, uh, Taylor Walls is kind of similar to Nico Horner in that what you're hoping for is that he gets on base and he then steals bases. He's not going to do much beyond that, but he he will do that. Uh, and he, unlike you know, unlike someone like Mateo, uh, Taylor Walls is an elite defender. So you can hope that Taylor Walls' defense keeps him on the field. Exactly. Um, perfect. All right. Uh, let me talk about real quick. Let's talk about. I'm gonna actually lump two these two folks together. So I'm gonna talk about Zach Collins and Santiago Espinal. Um. One, Zach Collins, he's been raking since he went to Toronto. He's easily rosterable at this point in two catcher leagues now that he plays in one of the best offenses in the league as well. Um, Counting stats have been excellent. Average has been excellent just across the board. I think he's a better defender behind home plate than, obviously, uh, Alejandro Kirk is. So he's going to get plenty of playing time there. So, yeah, definitely I would roster Zach Collins. Uh, Santiago Espinal, in the same vein. It just, in general, feels safe to roster Blue Jays regulars. In the, in the lineup at this point. It feels like everyone yeah. on that team, regardless of where they are in the order, is going to be able to rake and get some decent counting stats. Kind, kind of similar to last year where we kept talking up the Houston Astros. Exactly. Uh, end of roster guys yep. like, uh, you know, Oledmus Diaz and Jake Myers. And exactly. that, that worked out pretty well yes. because of that strong lineup. So we might be seeing the same thing here in Toronto. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's really all I have to say about those two. Uh, to kind of, I guess, like by the the former White Sox Zach Collins moving to uh, Jake Berger, current White Sox. Uh, Shrubs, do you want to take Jake Berger? I Berger is a main beneficiary of all of the injuries that are happening in Chicago, yep. and I mean, we're we're hoping that Moncada comes back soon, but as as long as all these guys are injured. Berger has all the opportunity he wants. Mm-hmm. He's hit he's hit as high as sixth lately. He's played uh seven of the last eight days, and I expect him to continue to get playing time. He's hit a couple dingers. He has not walked at all, but uh I mean other other than not walking at all, it's a it's a decent enough offensive profile. Like it, it, as long as he's getting the opportunity, he's probably a a, a capable corner infielder in a really deep league. Yeah, I mean, I like Jake Berger a decent amount. Um, it's been a rough couple of weeks for a lot of my White Sox mutuals. Um, yeah, it's, it's been a rough couple of weeks for White Sox fans. Um, and I got to say that Jake Berger on a lot of days has been like the one bright spot. Uh, so definitely someone that I can get behind adding to your roster if you need a corner infielder in any of your leagues. Um, all right, so let's talk about, let's see here. How about Austin Slater? So Austin Slater is the 
beneficiary of Steven Duggar getting hurt. And so far, I mean, it, we, we know, we know what the giants do at this point, you know, like, Oh God, who v- Vossler, Jason Vossler hit a home run yeah. to the, yeah. Who even is like the, <laughs> the giants just do this. Uh, they're, they're going to keep, you know, chur- churning through players. They're going to put their, they're going to put their guys in the best spot possible for them to succeed. And, Austin Slater is going to keep pl- keep being a good platoon bat. I I don't expect that to change ever, really. And as, as long as Duggar is down, Slater is a good daily league player. Just like every other San, Fris- San Francisco Giants yes. from last year, like we, <laughs> yeah. I feel like we recommended all of the San Francisco Giants uh, platoon bats last year at one point or another. Uh, with the implication that you should be starting them in daily leagues when you're able to like get the most out of their matchups, but uh, yeah, he is another one of those, and someone with like pretty decent speed too. He's going to get you stolen bases as well, which is fantastic. Um, yeah, so we we're in a stretch right now where the Giants have played have have faced six straight righties, so not really the place for Slater to thrive. But there are there are plenty of lefty starters in the NL West, so mm-hmm. the opportunities will be there. And he's already got two stolen bases and two home runs on the season in just 36 plate appearances. Mm-hmm. And he is getting the uh, he's getting those pinch hit plate appearances. You know, since uh, in the last like week or so, he's pinch hit one, two, three, four different games, and in three of those, he stayed in for multiple plate appearances. Yeah, he'll always find it because he's a good defender too. That's the other part is he's a good defensive mm-hmm. outfielder, so he should be able to sneak in there every once in a while. That makes it even harder for daily league managers. Yeah, because... <laughs> we love a challenge. We love a challenge. The giant, the the Giants are just striving to make us all play fantasy baseball on hard mode. Oh, 100 percent. Just always. Thanks, Farhan Zaidi. Shout out to Farhan Zaidi for making our life difficult. We appreciate it. All right, um, let's stick on the west coast let's talk about chad pinder real quick schwebs uh i've talked about chad pinder on the pod before love him love love him as a very under the radar power bat uh chad pinder has walked exactly zero times this year <laughs> he has struck out 40 percent of the time this year is that bad that's bad that's incredibly bad Thank that's you. worse than patrick sure. wisdom last year and you know what Chad Pinder still has a 135 WRC plus. I hate this year because the man just hits the heck out of the ball. No, it's not. It's not even a this year thing because, in spite of that abysmal plate discipline, he's got a 262 average and a 524 slug because he hits the heck out of the ball. So it's it, it's just his thing. He's uh, I, I I wouldn't call him a good hitter, but he hits the heck out of the ball when he does hit it. And that's enough sometimes. He's back from his injury. He's going to still continue to get all the playing, uh, the playing time that he can handle. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to continue rostering him in several of my deep leagues. Heck yeah. All right. Um, and then I've got, I think I'm just going to fire off these last, what is it, four people that we're supposed to talk about here, I think. Uh, so first one, one that was requested by Little Piranha, uh, member of our Pitchless Plus Discord. Uh, Asking about Travis Demerit, um, most of what I've seen about Demerit, I mean, he's performing well in his short stint so far, playing in left field for Atlanta. 
I think that we should care about Demerit as long as Eddie Rosario is still out. Because uh, my guess is that Demerit won't stick in left field as soon as basically Rosario can come back into the starting lineup. Because he oh. had laser eye surgery, if I remember right. Something like that. Yeah. I don't have the de- um, I didn't read the details. But, but it's four straight starts for Demerit, yep. and that's even after Acuna returned. That is true. Yes. Um, I will say though, right now I think it, the, I think Atlanta's only running like three people deep on the bench, and I don't think that's sustainable necessarily. And I think Demerit eventually, like I said, once Rosario comes back and is healthy, I think he probably gets bumped. And isn't going to be starting every single day, but um, I don't know. Maybe he can harp himself out some playing time. It's just something to monitor. I just wouldn't really feel super great about adding him right now. Uh, yeah, Demary uh, makes me nervous because he ran like he he hit a bunch of dingers in the Braves AAA uh, system last year, but he did it while striking out thirty three percent of the time. I do not trust batters that strike out 30 plus percent of the time in the minors. Maybe he'll have like some Adam Duvall stretch where he hits a bunch of dingers while hitting 210 this year. I don't know. It could happen. The Braves are really good at, you know, making a good outfield out of nothing as evidenced by last year. But uh, I, I, I don't think I'll wind up rostering Demerit anywhere. Yeah, that, that's my, 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 honest take on him yeah but i can i can absolutely he's already hit two home runs in the the four starts he's got this week and you know he could he could go on a run he absolutely could he's got the power it's always uh better be early on someone than late but it's just i guess Mm -hmm. for me it's like the biggest issue that i am having in most of my leagues isn't so much like power it's batting average and i don't know if he's going to be able to to deliver consistently in that regard so i'm probably passing on uh demerit but yeah. All right. Uh, I'm going to lump together a couple of pitchers that are kind of similar in some ways, different in others. Uh, so Michael Waka and Dakota Hudson. So with Dakota Hudson, the Schwebsy magic actually ran in the right direction here. It's not the Schwebsy curse. It's the, the Schwebsy magic. Because uh, this is someone that you called out in the preseason, Schwebs, who's panning out really, really nicely. He's got three starts, all very, very, very strong. Um, And he's exactly who you talked about him to be. Right, like he's kind of underwhelming from his strikeout standpoint, but the heavy ground balls into that really, really strong uh, St. Louis defense is proving to be really, really great for him, and the ERA is remaining low. So I'm kind of excited about him. Yeah, yeah, he flew way under the radar in draft season, but he should be stellar for uh, quality start leagues. He is likely to pile up wins in that mm-hmm. St. Louis team. Uh, I I tend to not chase those particular stats, but I do think that Hudson will be particularly strong there. Yeah, I can dig that. All right, uh, and then Michael Waka. So like I said, they were kind of similar, mostly just because they're like really low CSW guys. They're not going to strike out the world by any means. Waka, I do, like I don't know how he has managed to do it, but he's somehow avoided getting destroyed by both the Blue Jays and the Rays. There's just a not, there's not a lot here that's super encouraging and saying that this is going to hold up like a 24% overall CSW to, and just like sub 30% CSWs on every single one of his pitches uh, doesn't scream success to me. So I'm just going to give this a really hard pass, especially because he gets the Angels next. Doesn't seem great. 
um the a surprisingly elite offense in la this year yes very very good uh well, I, think, I, I, I think mostly for them it was just like is everyone going to stay healthy yeah that was most of it so but. as as a pitcher i very much do not like michael waka because of what he did a, as a met recently uh but as, as just a person with a name, I like him a lot because he reminds me of both Fozzie the Bear and the band Disturbed. God. Okay, I'm just going to glaze right over that. Ah, <laughs> uh, man. Ooh, waka waka. <laughs> Disappointment. <laughs> um, the last person we're going to talk about is Lucas Sims. Um, so it's very clear at this point that he is back. Uh, he is going to be the, the favorite for save opportunities uh, for the Reds, regardless of how few and far between they actually are. Um, he'll be there as long as he's healthy, and he's going to get the most opportunities in that regard. So definitely grab Lucas Sims if you haven't already. I'm actually surprised that his roster ship numbers are still so low, considering he's one of the few, I think, at this point, clear-cut closers. Uh, when there's so many like very iffy situations with folks that are more highly rostered, so like David Bednar, which oh my god, David Bednar yeah. needs to close. It makes me so angry. It is. It is. Pitts- Pittsburgh is trying to lose. They, they. You cannot convince me they're not trying to lose. Yeah, it's not great. Like, like I love that Daniel Vogelbach is hitting in the first four spots every day, but that is not a winning team thing. Uh, and yeah, the the Bednar Stratton thing is just another thing that grinds my gears not great yeah well um i think that's it for our deep or sorry our uh honorable mentions our little quick hits there and that's it for this week's episode so thank you so much for joining us on a, another episode of in the deep we appreciate it uh once again to hit the socials at the end of the episode if you'd like to follow us on twitter we have a shared podcast account that is at in the deep pl you can also follow us individually at schwebsi that's s-h-w-e-b-s-i and bunt singles for myself and we will be back next week with another episode. And on that note, Schwebzy, send them out. Bye, friends. Bye.